I think I came in to being a creative leader thinking that being a creative director or, or in that type of role, that meant that I came up with the ideas. I was the idea guy, and then the other people executed my ideas. And I learned pretty quickly that that doesn't work and no one likes to work that way. <laughs> hey, what's up, people? It's Brandon Ferris, and you're listening to A Quick Read, an advertising podcast that talks book smarts and street smarts with the people who have been there, done that. Today's guest is creative leader and producer Dave Markey. He's created thrills for Cedar Point and brushed elbows with the Avengers. We jump in the cage with herding tigers and talk creative leadership. You know what to do. Tune in and turn up. What's up, Dave Markey? Brandon, long time, man. man. It's been a while. It has been a long time. Wow. So long that I've got to tell the listeners, you, my friend, taught me how to edit. Oh, I did? Yeah, man. Back in the day, we were at our first shop uh, here in Cincinnati, and we were working on this little uh, you know, editorial news show, and um, I got hired at the time. I only knew iMovie. <laughs> and basically the producer said, we can teach you how to, how to cut on final cut. Yep. And I went down into the basement, into this dark room and there you were. And, uh, and you said, okay, uh, here's how it works. And you, you showed me final cut. And I think we had maybe five or six sessions and yep. then you were like, all right, the show's yours. <laughs> <laughs> I do I do remember that. It was a, it was amazing and it was before you ever showed up the the president of the company came to me and he said I've I've got this guy Brandon. He's uh he's made some documentaries and iMovie and and it was kind of this this like this guy doesn't know anything but he's got potential. <laughs> and and I like him was kind of how he was pitched to me and I was like okay like let's let's see what happens you know <laughs> and, so uh, there there yeah. was the 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 first instance where you were handed a creative which kind of brings us to today's conversation you chose a book called Herding Tigers by Todd Henry and it's all about how to lead creative teams T tell me about why you chose that book right so I was in the position where I had been a maker for for over 10 years of my career. And I led teams in little short spurts, um, you know, for a, a shoot here or a shoot there. You know, maybe it's one day or two days. But then I was working at Cedar Fair full time and I was promoted to leading the the whole department. And so I felt like I needed some some more knowledge and, and skills on how to go from being a maker to leading a team of other makers uh, day in and day out. Because um, it it's it is definitely a very different skill. Yeah. No, that's great. And so so this book I think has a lot of great content around that, which we'll jump into. But before we do that, Let's, you know, rewind the clock a little bit. So, you know, you, you've always been in production as sort of a video editor, um, a, a DP, filmmaker, producer, that sort of a thing. Um, talk a little bit about those early years, because after I worked with you and you were mainly an editor, you kind of left and went off into sort of the film world where you you did a lot of stuff with with major motion pictures. So talk a little bit about that and, um, 
and and then kind of get take us from there um, up to speed. And I think I believe you used to hang out with the Avengers. I I did hang out with some Avengers uh, here and there. <laughs> I, I hung out with a few of them: Nick Fury and uh, Black Widow and Captain America. All uh, nice have been a part of part of my career. So. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, when when we met, uh, I was editing. I had I had my TV show, and you had your TV show, and we would come in every week and and bang out episodes in the editing room. And in addition to that, though, that was just a part time thing for me. I was also going out on sets and working as just a grip carrying sandbags, and then I had my own clients for whom I would I would DP. Um, or even produce and direct the whole thing. So I was kind of running up and down the whole ladder of, of gotcha. production. And, and maybe that wasn't the smartest career move. I think, I think a, a more business-minded person would say, you know, just focus on the producing, directing, the, those head honcho roles, and stop doing, stop doing this uh, technician stuff. Um, but gotcha. yeah, I, I, I enjoyed the technician stuff and it gave me the opportunity to do stuff like go and work on the Avengers and go and work on Captain America, Winter Soldier and, and a few other movies, uh, which if, if my only title was producer, you don't get those opportunities. So, um, yeah. I, I kept doing it as a way to get visibility into bigger and, and more complex things. Yeah, and so for those listeners that that aren't familiar with the film industry, like us filmmakers, um, you know, a, a grip, you know, really you have you know departments within within the film world, and you know, one of those is you know you, you hear people say the term grip and electric, um, and so you know, electric is typically people that are dealing with lights and power and those types of things, and grip is really more about you know shaping the light, so it's it's building rigs and 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 working with. Uh, different teams, camera department to sort of like set things up. So, so in your case, as a grip, you know, you mentioned you were doing setups for uh, like, I think you said to me at one point you were, you were blowing up Nick Fury's car. <laughs> we, we did now. So technically the effects department does the blowing up. Yeah. But right. the, the, as the grip department, it was our job to rig the cameras to the cars that get blown up. Yeah. Gotcha. So, so again, you're working with all these different people. You're sort of hands-on. So you're used to being on a team kind of like on the front lines, right? So you were sort of like, you're, you know, you're out there, you're working, you're part of this sort of army of one. And then as you started to then shift and then you, you found your place with Cedar Fair, you were now more of like maybe the coach on the field of the sidelines? So I started off as post-production supervisor there. So I was, I was editing was my main function. Um, but I also had producing responsibilities and, and writing responsibilities. Uh, you know, that department was a brand new department. We started with three people. So we had, uh, Howard Newstate was executive producer. I was post-production supervisor was the title that just, we kind of fell into. And, and then we had JJ Painter as the, uh, motion graphics artist. And we started on a on a folding table with our personal laptops <laughs> in what they call the, the birthday room at Kings Island. Okay, <laughs> that's how that department started. Um, wow, that's that is a great story, right? You know, uh, the birthday room. So, so I think that's really 
really interesting, right? Because again, you were, <clears throat> as a freelancer, you've been doing, you know, lots of different things. You've been on major motion pictures. You were editing a, a local business television show. You were, you know, doing all sorts of things, directing your own sort of stuff. I believe you were the director of photography, if I'm correct, on my first role as director for a commercial for a local potato chip company. That's right. And actually, yeah. I don't know if I don't know if you remember this, but you you and the president of that company came to me and said, uh, you you had the the script, I believe, and yeah. and and you had pitched it to the client and they had bought into it and you guys came to me and said, "Dave, do you want to direct this?" Yeah. And I said, Brandon, you've you've written the script, you did the storyboards, you already know the actors. You've like you've done 80% of the directing stuff. As much as my dream was to direct, I was like you should direct it. And I'll be the director of photography and I'll I'll help you uh yeah. it, it, with any any little, you know, advice that you need along the way, but but this is your baby already, so yeah, we'll have to if I can find on YouTube. Let's see if I can post some of that stuff in the show notes. The uh, I think one of the the first con the, the big idea was these barbecue chips are so good um, <laughs> that you'll do things that you normally wouldn't. And so you had like a guy sitting on a couch with his English bulldog, and you know he's eating his chips. He's got sort of like the the barbecue dust or like the Cheetos dust all over his fingers. And then we cut to the tight shot of the bulldog licking his fingers. Then the guy sort of looks at his hand and contemplates this moment of like, okay, this dog just licked my fingers, but there's still some barbecue dust on that on my fingers, and these chips are so good that it's worth lick, licking my fingers. So it was it was a simple, you know, sort of probably a cliche concept, but it was a lot of fun, and um, and that was you know that was a big deal for me, man. That was like sort of my first big break. You know, it's so funny now that we're talking about all this, like. You're the most influential person in my career. <laughs> no, no way, no way. I, I, I mean, you there, taught me. To, you taught me to edit. You taught me to direct. There, were, I do. I do remember we we got there on set and and for that first thing and we said like I said something like how about you guys rehearse we'll block your actors then I'll light it and then we'll shoot it and you're like cool cool great all right we'll do that and then you like whispered to me what what's blocking and uh, <laughs> and, uh, and and that was it was a lot of fun though and I if I remember right it, it was so loose and and um, we were able to to just work so um fluidly and improvisationally i think we came up with one of the commercial ideas right there on set like yeah for sure we didn't write it out we didn't we didn't script it we just said what if what if one of the chips gets stepped on and this guy like starts crying (laughs) yeah 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 so no and, and i think that brings us you know this part of the conversation i think is perfect to set up the one of the first big ideas from the book which is Good leadership means helping the team reach its full potential, you know, and, and you've definitely done that for me and, 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 you know, projects that we've worked on in the past. So, you know, how is that fleshed out in your career, whether it's, you know, working on set with a film crew or, you know, building this sort of, you know, production department out of, at an amusement park, what does it mean to, to help a team reach its full potential? You know, I think it's about, I, I often think of sandboxes. And, and this idea that every creative kind of needs their own sandbox. Um, I, I think I came in to being a creative leader thinking that being a creative director or, or in that type of role 
that meant that I came up with the ideas. I was the idea guy, and then the other people executed my ideas. And I learned pretty quickly that that doesn't work, and no one likes to work that way. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. It's it's much as I as I read books like like Todd Henry's book and and some other thinking in that area. It it I started to play with the idea that I was more the shepherd of ideas rather than the creator of ideas. So you have gotcha. you have this team of people. Let them generate ideas. And and just uh, help them curate them, help steer them towards the projects and and the roles that are best suited for their strengths, and and I think that's that's what that means because it's too it's it, it very quickly even on a small team in a small operation, um, it's very quickly too much for one person to be the idea person. Um, yeah. Yeah. And you get better stuff. You get you get more more people working on it, and they're going to put way more energy into it if they feel like they they have a piece of it. That's great. Do you have a, a memory of maybe a project where that just that just worked really well, where you were able to sort of be that that shepherd and really you know hit a home run? You know, maybe something from you know uh, the amusement park. I mean, what 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 is that even like? What kind of stuff are you guys making? What's a an example of you helping a team create a moment in a in a amusement franchise. Yeah, I, I think that w- the one that comes to mind for me is when Kings Island launched their Mystic Timbers roller coaster, and yeah, this a big new a big deal here in the in the Midwest. Yes, anytime anytime you get a new roller coaster, it's a big deal, um, and it's it's a lot of pressure on the business because. This big investment is meant to bring more people to your park, and and so you're you're expected to have great numbers when when you get that kind of investment. And so we were charged with helping with the announcement of that project, and what that meant was uh, there was a big press event, and then they have some video projection where they tease the ride, they they go into the features of the new ride and get everyone excited for what's coming next season. So in order to, we had started making these teaser videos for each ride. Um, and it's kind of like brings you into the storyline of it and, and gets people excited for it. The other element that everyone gets excited for is the POV footage, which which looks like you're riding on the ride. Yeah, yeah, everybody wants that. Everyone wants that, and for the creative team, there isn't as much work there because if the ride is what it is, and uh, you know, it's just a single render of there's there's not even multiple shots. There's no edits. Um, is that all 3D or is that is that live action? Yeah, well, it's 3D because at the point that you're yeah. announcing the ride, the ride hasn't been built yet. Gotcha. So you have to, and, and that's the challenge. That that's one of the really interesting challenges with working with amusement parks is we were constantly promoting things that didn't exist yet. So uh, yeah. we had to do that for for the Grand Carnival um, Street Festival. They it was brand new. It was coming to Kings Island. They hadn't had the festival before. So what footage do you show to to show people that there's going to be a really great, cool festival coming coming to uh, the amusement park. 
So, huh. so, and so then you get into like, okay, do we stage it? And then we, how many, how many actors do we have to bring in to stage it? Yeah. And the part. Yeah. If you're going to, if you're going to sell a, a carnival parade. Yeah. How you, yeah. How do you fake that one? It sounds like you need hundreds of people. Right. And then, and then the, the amusement park is open seven days a week from uh, 10 in the morning until at least 11 at night. So when do you get into the park to film it? <laughs> <laughs> so you get a lot of fun challenges like that. Um, but I think with Mystic Timbers, that was that was my first year from when I had moved from being a post-production supervisor to being um, associate creative director and having more of a leadership role. And so I really wanted to make my mark with this uh, Mystic Timbers uh, announcement video. And it was... Myself and uh, Phil Grovesner, the the motion graphic artist, and I just remember us being in the office at three in the morning. Uh, we were gorging ourselves on Hershey's candy because because they were a sponsor, and and just <laughs> rendering and editing and re-editing, re-rendering, composing the music, and and just go, trying to go all out on this thing. And and is this is this happening in the birthday room? No, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> so the the birthday room, this the birthday room was where we started while the facility was being built for this new department. So, <laughs> gotcha. so we were in the birthday room for about uh, three or four months, and then we got a, a really cool facility with a lot of digital technology and awesome. and a you know big server that all of our uh, editing stations were connected to. <laughs> That's great. That's awesome, man. So, so you you're able to sort of like you know bring about this launch event, get the team excited, deliver. You burn the midnight oil. You hit the marks. Afterwards, everybody's sort of excited, relieved, the whole nine. And I think this brings me to this sort of the next theme in in his book, where he really starts to call out and dispel some some myths about creatives. So you know, after going through an experience like that with your team you learn a lot about each other, you know? Yeah. And so yeah. some of the, some of the myths that he talks about are, for instance, the myth that creatives want total freedom, <laughs> Yeah. you know, yeah. Or, or the myth that, um, creatives lack business and analytical skills. So, you know, what are those types of myths that you've seen in the book that seem to stand out to be more prominent than the others that you've said, you know what, I've worked with creatives long enough now. This is just not true. Mm. Yeah, I I think that the the myth about creatives wanting total freedom is absolutely that's absolutely a myth. Um, yeah, a, a little bit of direction and a little bit of boundaries is much more inspiring. The blank canvas, in, in for me for sure, it, it creates anxiety because um, you could go just about anywhere. Um, has, yeah. has that been your experience? Is the blank canvas? Is that? Yeah, I think that you know, as much as creatives want to feel like anything is possible, they hate it. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like you know, my team loves a deadline and a strong creative brief. Yes, you know, give them a deadline and a brief, and man, you'll get amazing work. People will come up with stuff that you never could have thought of. If you right. give them no deadline and no creative direction, wow, it can get dark. <laughs> you know, pe- people people start to get into the dark places. Yes. Well, and that, that was something that Cedar Fair was an interesting uh, exposure to as well, because a lot of these projects were things that we generated ourselves. 
And so we didn't necessarily have a deadline. Sometimes we had really hard deadlines, like when you have a big press event scheduled in the case of, of that Mystic Timbers video. But other times it's, we have an idea for a show and we're going to start doing it. And if we don't deliver it, uh, you know, there's no, uh, there, there, there was no hard deadline. And that's actually a lot harder in some ways because then you think you, you think you finish, but you can also be the one to decide, no, it needs to be a little better. And then it just, it, yeah. it can drag on forever. And then you feel like you never get that satisfaction of we did it. Um, so, so the total freedom yeah, thing the, is, is uh, anxiety-inducing and exhausting <laughs> uh, rather than inspiring. Yeah, and I think your comment there about, you know, a little bit better, like that can drive you crazy. Yes. Like at some point, you have to ship the work. You know, you have to, yes. at some point, it has to set sail and it has to, um, you know, it has to go meet the world. And then, you know, you, you learn from it, you know, is it good? Is it bad? Can we tweak it? Can we republish it? Can we re-release it? 2.0, whatever. But at some point, you know, the idea has to go. Um, otherwise, I think everybody just starts to, to, to get frustrated because it's, they're, they're just working on this thing that, you know, never is going to fly. Exactly. And, and I think that uh, something that I've realized is you don't, you don't learn as much during a project as you learn between projects. Mm. So that's interesting. Doing the you know doing episodes, you don't you don't learn as much while you're creating episode one. You you ship episode one, you kind of recharge, you rethink, and then when you go into episode two, that's that's the space where you actually learn is when you have a little time to reflect. Um, and you never get there if you're just constantly polishing the same thing. Wow, that was good. I like that. Um, yeah, that is so true, man. Because I've experienced that in my career and in, in the projects I've worked on. I mean, it's, it's the in-between where the magic happens, right? That reflection period. Um, why do you think that is? Why is it just because when you're in it, you, you, you're just, you're just, you know, access to the grind or whatever that saying is, and you just don't have time to really yes. apply any of the learnings. I think so. I think so. And then a lot of the learnings as to whether, whether the piece landed or not, I mean, content it, relies on an audience so you have to see how the audience responds um and and you have to see uh especially in the case of advertising uh what the analytics look like and then from there you can see whether um whether you hit the mark uh whether the piece what you got a good rate of return on the effort that went into it because it, it, it's amazing to me the, the times that uh, a piece that we put our blood, sweat, and tears into doesn't perform as well as something that was actually much, much simpler and much, uh, could be produced much more efficiently. But you don't get that learning. You, you get that learning upon analyzing it later. Yeah, that's really interesting. You know, I think that that points out another one of these myths, right? That um, creatives only care about things that are cool. You know, and, and what you just said there is that, you know, sometimes after the fact, you realize that maybe the thing that's less cool is actually what's right for the job. Is that, have you found that to be true? And, and do, do you see that the creatives you work with care more about creating a cool thing? Or are you seeing a trend where creative teams now are really starting to be more strategic? I think that any, so it's interesting. I, I came out of film school and we all were this 
kind of stereotypical art school students who would gather around a table with our professors and talk about what, debate what good and bad is, debate what is art and what is not art, sure. all this highly... Talk about, talk about David Lynch films. Yeah, and, uh, or even even <laughs> David Lynch was mainstream compared to some of the, some yeah. of the weird stuff that we were getting into. Um, <laughs> yeah. And there was a part of me that, um, as much as I enjoyed film school, that sort of... Um, you know, navel-gazing, uh, overly theoretical uh, stuff was, it, it gets, it, you start chasing your tail after a while. And I was mm. surprised when I got out into the world and, and started working on uh, commercial content that I was, I got a lot of satisfaction when a business owner said, hey, that campaign you made for me doubled my business last year. And I'm expanding my facility and I'm hiring new people because of what you've made. Um, that's, those are things that some film professor can't uh, debate you out of whether it's good or bad. It's like you had a, a tangible Im impact on people's lives. Um, and I think that's interesting. Yeah, that's, that's really, again, that's something that you don't learn until you, you get into this side of the business, you know, because uh, the film side of the business oftentimes you know, and I don't know what your experience was, but, um, you know, you're just not close enough to the business to really get that feedback, like on a film or whatnot. I mean, you're, you're one of many people on an army who is executing orders, right? Because in film world, you know, we follow our orders and that's how we were able to ship a film and, you know, wrap, wrap in 30 days or whatever it is. And so you don't, <clears throat> maybe unless you're an executive producer, you don't really see that side of things. Um, but in the commercial world, when you are, the executive producer, you are the director, you are the editor, um, you really get to see that impact. For sure. And yeah, I think that in the movie world, it's, I guess it would be the development team um, who, if you're a grip like me, you never interact with those people, you know? Um, yeah. And and so there is that, that sort of element of it, and they're on really big teams, really long timelines, very complex operation. Um, and and what's interesting about commercials is that all of that is shorter, smaller, more compressed. So you get to, um, you just get a, a more interesting um, interaction with it that way. Yeah. You know, one of the things that, that it makes me think of is the, the last myth I'll bring up, which is this idea that creatives are unreliable and lose interest easily. Um, have you found that to be true with your teams? Do you see a group who, who is ready to move on to the next thing or, or what seems to keep them sort of, um, you know, engaged? I think that, so I think that a lot of these myths um, are true for people that tend to be creative where I think they're untrue is for people that make a living with creativity. Because if you've gotten to the point that you're making a living at this, your, your full-time job is you're a graphic designer or a copywriter or something along those lines, you're at the top, right? Like you're, you're, in, the, that, that you're in the top 1% probably of creative people. Um, and, but I think that things like that people are unreliable and lose interest easily um, you know, I also had a, a experience in playing live music, and I met a lot of musicians. And and yes, there was a lot of unreliable <laughs> musicians who lose interest easily. 
Um, yeah. But what's the difference? I think the difference is, you know, uh, the these were hobby projects, garage bands. Um, and, and I don't mean that to, like, uh, belittle the impact or creativity of them because I, I some of my favorite music comes out of that. But um, I think that when you're relying on something to pay your bills and put food on your table, you you can't afford to be unreliable. You can't and you can't afford to lose interest. And you have to learn business skills and analytical skills. And and you you know you learn to check your ego at the door quickly. Um, mm. So that's that's what I've seen. I mean, I it, I was yeah. I was talking to someone the other day, and they were. Uh, assessing me for an opportunity and, and talking about how, well, creative people, you know, often um, they they get they very attached to their ideas. And they, she was trying to get to the point of like, can you take constructive criticism? And, you know, I could, I, I, <laughs> I, can't, I could not be in this, I could not be making a living at this for over a decade if, if I couldn't do that. Um, yeah, I think the answer to that is, I am built on failure. <laughs> like as creatives and in, as filmmakers, it's like, yeah, of course, 90% of our ideas and what we want to do is shot down by someone right? or the client or the client, you know, yep. like, oh, like, yeah, I like what you're doing, but do it totally different and not do it and then do this other thing. And you're like, oh, okay, thank you. Yeah, it was, um, it's the school of hard knocks <laughs> for sure. And uh, and I think film school yeah. and, the, and the critique process in film school of having your work shown in front of all your peers and then cri- criticized publicly um, yeah. is good for building up that thick skin for some people, for other people, it's not a good thing. <laughs> yeah. Un- unfortunately, my children have gotten the, the, the school of hard knocks. Like they'll come to me and they'll be like, Hey dad, look at this paper I wrote for school. And I, and like, it's so instinctive for me to just like help them make it better. <laughs> Copy edit. And then I have to realize, yeah, I have to realize like, oh, they're just, they're just kids. Yeah. Like they, like they don't know, they haven't had the years of like, you know, suppression and, and beat down, <laughs> you know, the, to weather the, the, to weather the storm and, and be calloused uh, and make it a positive experience. Cause now I, I love it. I love critique. I love criticism. You know, I'll tell people, Hey, t- tear this apart, you know, Tell me it sucks, you know, because I know on the other side of it is something that's going to be much better. Um, but that's something that takes time to learn. For sure. You know, when talking about, you know, what we're, we're talking about there with stability and um, or uh, unreliability and, and losing interest, it brings me to sort of the last big idea um, that I want to bring up about the book is he talks about um, two things that creative teams need, stability and challenges. And probably one of the most powerful things of, Todd Henry's book, Hurting Tigers, is he creates this sort of chart or grid. I know there's a name for that chart. It's basically you make an X and then you have a quadrants. Yeah. And you plot these sort of quadrants. And the plotting lines are stability and challenges. Um, And so in the book, he draws it out where teams without stability get frustrated and angry. Teams without challenges get bored or even depressed. And so it's about finding that sweet spot where they they are challenged but they feel stable in their their creative relationship. They don't feel like you're, you know, out to get them. You know, you have their support. And I just really think that's really powerful. It's one of the the most powerful things I got from the book. Did you get that same sense and as you worked with your teams and even now as you're collaborating with others from a freelance perspective, 
Um, how do you try to foster that balance of stability and challenge? Definitely. I, I think I've definitely found it to be true. And I think when things, when you're on a creative team and things don't feel right, and um, the, the thing to do is to think about that uh, framework and um, what's missing is probably what's missing or what is um, maybe in too much abundance is the stability or the challenges. Um, there's, you know, there's so many uh, bell, like, like cogs in the machine of a creative team that it can be overwhelming to figure out when something's wrong, what it could be. And, but I've found that if, if people are, if, if the team is not um, thriving, maybe it's because there's not enough stability, right? Maybe they're, they're, um, things are too unpredictable as far as deadlines and projects and, mm. and whether projects are successful or not and, and what people's um, assessment of their work is going to be. That, that can be very uh, disorienting when you present work and you never know if you're going to get dinged on whether someone likes that color or not or, or whether someone likes the font or not or whether they're going to barely look at it and say it's good and approve it. So, um, so a lack of stability can, can really be frustrating in that regard. Um, on the other hand, uh, I, I can look back now and see points at which um, folks that I was coaching and mentoring were kind of saying, I feel a bit lost and I feel a bit, you know, they were looking for, for something in the work and um, I wasn't sure what to give them because it's obviously it's much easier when someone says, I want X and then I can work on getting them X or, or you know, talking about why I can or can't do that. But when they're kind of like, I don't know what I want, um, I can see now, like looking back at the book, like, oh, they weren't challenged enough. They were looking mm -hmm. for challenges. And, and it was my job as a leader to find them. And in some cases, I, I was able to, to do that. Um, in other cases, I, I was too caught up in my own, uh, you know, missions or whatever to, to kind of realize that, oh, that's what they need. And, and I, can, I can come up with this for them. We can work together get them the challenges they need so that they feel like they're growing. Man, that was great. Some great insight there. Yeah. I think it's really important to, um, you know, as people become aware of these things, they can really become more, you know, dynamic leaders. Um, as someone who's been on both sides, right? So someone who's been a part of dynamic teams like film crews and production companies as sort of a team player, and then someone who's been able to, you know, be a part of leadership positions, um, who's sort of led those teams, I guess, you know, compare and contrast or what's the, what's the one truth or what's the thing that you're like, you know what, as a team member, I always really appreciated this. And therefore as a leader, I tried to do that. Yes. I, I think, Hmm. It's interesting because because working up and down the ladder, working on both sides of it, like you said, um, I did have to work in that hierarchical film set world where you just do what you're told and you you know you do it the way that you're told. Um, especially as a technician, there isn't 
You know, no one's interested in your uh, artistic way of setting up an HMI light. <laughs> like, there's a right and a wrong way to do it. Um, so, uh, but I, I, what I found in in that part of my career was that I needed to get out and do my own projects to have my own creative fulfillment. So that's when I started shooting music videos for uh, bands that I liked and for my own band. And that was my creative outlet. And that allowed me to, when I was on the job, working on a commercial for some product that I maybe didn't necessarily care about, but I was just there to, you know, just there to set up lights and collect a check. Um, I could look forward to knowing I've got, I'm going to scratch my creative itch uh, out, out on this project that I'm going to shoot this weekend. And I think that yeah. you see, you can see that, um, unfortunately, you see some some crew members that uh, they're the frustrated director or they're the the cinematographer that never quite made it, but they're they're stuck in some role kind of below their abilities, and uh, that's it's a bad scene for everyone. They're frustrated, and then they drive everyone around them nuts. So I think I think having having something that you're excited about, having that sandbox to play in is important um, if, you're a, if you're a maker and the job that's paying the bills isn't that sandbox, then you've got to find it outside of the job. And if you're a leader, um, I think finding sandboxes for your people and, and protecting them uh, definitely leads to a happier, more energized team. Man, that was great. There's your, there's the soundbite right there. That was beautiful. <laughs> Thanks, man. Um, yeah, no, I I totally agree, man. I I try to with my teams look for the things they're passionate about and the opportunities and say, hey, let's do this little side project or let's try this little thing or hey, let's experiment here and see if we can add a new capability mm -hmm. or let's see if we mm -hmm. can you know create something that we can sell um, a client. So I think that's just great, great insight. I I love that. Um, man, this has been such a good conversation, man. You're you're um. You're just like I don't know, man. You're like my you're my Obi Wan. Man. I love I love talking with you, Dave. Um, so tell me tell me what's what's next for you. So let's you know let's get into a little bit. You've you've recently moved from Cincinnati. You're you're now in in Boston. That's right. You're, yep. You've headed out that way. Yep. And I believe I don't know if I'm allowed to say, but I think you've got a big thing that just happened in your life. I did. I did. I uh, I just got engaged on um, yeah to a couple days ago. So congratulations. Thank you. Man. Thank you. That was my own, my own marketing effort, my own, uh, <laughs> creative <laughs> campaign. Um, and, uh, it went well and everyone's super excited. <laughs> it worked. Yeah. That's good to hear that it went well. You got good metrics out. Of I it, did. So, it um, took, it was a long time in the making. Uh, yeah. it was a long, long time in the making, <laughs> but the debt, yeah, the deadline was, uh, was opening. It, it, well, it was, <laughs> it, it absolutely was. Um, she, uh, I really appreciate the fact she never pressured me. She never dropped hints or any of that. Um, so I just, things, things lined up. Um, and, yeah. and it made sense when it, when it made awesome. sense. So, so now you're in Boston. Uh, are you hanging out with the Wahlbergs or anything? <laughs> like, aren't they from Boston? Are you, they are. Are you, <laughs> All that, so, um, yeah. So what are you doing in Boston, man? Like how, how let's hear about where you're at now. So you were, you've done the film thing, you've done work for a major amusement park and lead a team thing. And now you're, 
you're sort of exploring a new a new realm. You've got all this experience and you're ready to to share it. So what do you what's what's the next play? Yeah. So the, what brought us to Boston was uh, Julia, my fiance's career. She just finished her PhD in clinical psychology, and so that requires a lot of flexibility. Um, and we were able to steer that, or she was able to steer that, to get her back to Boston. This is where she grew up. So now we're back near her family, which is really great for her. She was really not uh, enjoying being away from them for so long while she was in grad school. Yeah. And uh, I, I came along for the ride. I, I, had to, I was at that fork in the road where I had the interesting creative job with Cedar Fair, um, and then I had this, this woman that I was in love with, and I had to, I had to kind of pick, right? And yeah. there were ways to kind of try to have a, have a foot on each, in each road. If, I, if we did the long distance thing while she was doing her internships and stuff, and I was you know, working from Cincinnati but visiting as much as possible, considered that, didn't seem like a good idea. Um, and I think that moving out of Ohio was was kind of on my bucket list, and I was going to feel like something was was undone in my life if I never did that. So, yeah. So I made the jump, went with her, um, and I've been freelancing to bring in some money while we, you know, uh, completed her career goals. Uh, Cedar Fair has remained a client of mine, which I'm very thankful for. And yeah, that's cool. But now, and now we're in Boston, and we know we're here for the foreseeable future, and it's where we want to put down roots. And there's a lot of really interesting stuff here. Um, there's a lot of uh, biomedical companies. There's a lot of startups. There's a lot of technology stuff that I find really interesting. Mm-hmm. There's Harvard and some of the other like greatest higher education institutions are here. Yeah. MIT. There's a lot of uh, also, there's a lot of like. Uh of uh, uh, robots there too. Oh yeah. Yep. A lot of robots <laughs> happening there. That's where they're building those like cyber killing robot dogs. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. So, <laughs> and, and I, I find all that technology futuristic stuff really interesting. And, and there's just a strong marketing presence here as well. Um, HubSpot is uh, headquartered here. Uh, there's other marketing automation platforms uh, that I've discovered since I've been here, like Clavio and, and other things. So as someone that finds marketing and advertising and storytelling interesting, um, this is a great place. It's also the home of WGBH, one of the, you know, pinnacles of public television and, and a great uh, champion of, of documentary filmmaking. So I'm excited for, for all those, those opportunities and I'm, I'm checking them out and, and figuring out which one's going to be the best for me. That's great, man. Well, for those, you know, listening or chiming in who who have appreciated your story and and like what you have to offer, how can they get in touch with you? How can they work with you? You know, how do they get to your your production company site? How do they, you know, figure out a way to to work with you? Yeah, I think the best way to find me is on LinkedIn. Um, I'm very active on there. So just look up David Markey, M-A-R-K-E-Y. And you'll uh, you'll see me uh, hopefully popping up there. Nice, yeah. And I'll put the links in the show notes and that sort of thing. So, um, 
Yeah, man, I I can vouch for Dave. He's 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 a uh, he's one of the good guys. Um, well, he's an Avenger. Let's be honest. He's <laughs> he's an Avenger. He's trying to play coy as if he was only setting up the camera, but actually he was equipping Nick Fury with with the tools for victory. He was giving a coaching session to the Avengers. Basically, you were coaching them on how to be awesome. I was, and actually, so if you watch Winter Soldier, there's a crane shot when Nick Fury's trying to escape from the evil cops, and it starts close up on the wheel of his car, and then it pulls up like 50 feet in the air, and I'm the guy that's hanging on the other end of the crane to, to pull it up and counter counterweight it up, so that's, that's, that's <laughs> one of my claims to fame that I'm most proud of. <laughs> that is so human great, man. human like, ballast I, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I love hearing that that's awesome man um well dude this has been so much fun and i'm so glad it, it could it, we could make it happen and i definitely want to have you back on the show um again if you guys are, are listening in this is a really great read not only is it a quick read but it's a great read todd henry's hurting tigers it's all about leading creative teams i think you'll walk away with some really good tangible stuff um, so thanks again for, for tuning in and listening to this episode as always. Um, we love it. If you spread the word, share it on social, um, and have a conversation, you know, chime in, um, you know, let, let Dave know what you think about his thoughts and, uh, you know, we'll share some of those things on the weekly bookmark, which is, uh, an episode we post the, the off weeks. So again, those who are just tuning in, we post new episodes every other week, and then the weeks that we don't post episodes, we post a segment called The Bookmark, which really takes a look back at the previous episode, a look forward at the next episode, and creates a little recap in a moment for some listener engagement. So um, that's really exciting and a lot of fun. Uh, Dave, this has been a blast, man. I really appreciate you, and I wish you nothing but the best in Boston uh, when COVID is over. Um, I'll, I'll meet you out there, man. We'll go, we'll go do the Boston stuff, drink some green beer or whatever it is they do up there. Um, sounds good to me. That, if that's good with Absolutely. you. Absolutely. Okay. Sounds good to me. I, I am really glad we crossed paths long ago. I'm really glad that, uh, our boss at that company took a chance on a guy that knew iMovie. And, uh, and I don't want to, I don't want to downplay how much I learned from you because, You've always been a guy that you you just jump out there and do it. You're like, hey, we've got this client. I'm going to go shoot a concept and pitch it to him. And it's just like, what? Who who gave you permission to do that? And, uh, I've I've built a career on uh, not asking for permission. Exactly. I still don't know. If, I still don't even know if I'm have permission to do this podcast. I'm just doing it, and uh, somebody somewhere is okay. Apologize with that. later. That's another uh, good yeah. creative tip. So. exactly all right man well i'll talk to you best of luck out there congratulations on the engagement way to close the deal uh man you're one of the best dude and uh and we'll be in touch soon all right thank you brandon thank you all right cheers mate hey thanks for listening i hope you enjoyed the episode if you did head over to itunes or spotify and give us a great rating and review a quick read is a leap group podcast